got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. Today we are going to study a well-known passage of the Bible where our Lord Jesus Christ teaches about the new birth. Yet this passage is often misunderstood, and its interpretation has been a cause of division within the church. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. The Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. We begin with the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym. SP standing for speaker, A for audience, C for context, and E for explanation. We created this acronym to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, audience, and context before attempting an explanation or interpretation of the scripture being studied. Let's use it here. Okay, so let's look at who the speaker might be. Here it's clearly our Lord Jesus Christ, according to verse 2. It says, A man came to Jesus secretly by night, calling him rabbi, which is a title Jews use to address their teachers and show respect. Great point. The fact this was a Jewish teaching moment is very important. Next, let's look at who the audience might be. There was only one audience member in this case, Andy, as far as we know, and it was this man Nicodemus. A few things about Nicodemus. First, he was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, which means that he was a very well-educated Jewish scholar. Yes, and in verse 10, Jesus also calls him a teacher of Israel or a professor. That makes him calling Jesus teacher even more meaningful. Right, he was essentially confessing that Jesus was a teacher of teachers, someone with deep, deep knowledge of God's word. And Nicodemus would slowly come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and we see him cautiously defend Jesus before the Sanhedrin in John chapter 7. And of course, later he came with Joseph of Arimathea to claim the body of Christ in John 19. So Jesus is speaking as a rabbi teaching another rabbi. Why is this significant, Jordan? It's significant because although the entire Bible is written for the edification of believers, we have to be careful about who the Bible is speaking to at any given point. Misinterpretations and divisions arise when we try to take something written to Jews and apply it to lost men, or even apply it directly to Christians. Well said. Okay, next, what is the context? 
We need to understand these words were spoken during the ministry of Jesus, a crucial moment in time when the nation of Israel was deciding whether to accept or reject Jesus as their Messiah. This is before the age of grace or the church age and before salvation by faith in the finished work of the cross, because that obviously had not happened yet. Yeah, it's an important point, Andy, to talk about where we are in time. We have to be careful when looking back not to take us out of context because it wasn't clear at that time what would happen. Yeah, it's more like those alternative timelines on TV that you might see in a movie, possibly. And if the nation of Israel had made a different decision, if they had repented and accept Jesus as their Messiah, the church would never have existed or have needed to exist. Listen to Matthew eleven fourteen, Speaking to the Jewish crowds, Jesus said, If you are willing to accept it, John himself is Elijah who was to come. In other words, the prophecy of the end times where Elijah precedes the Messiah would have been fulfilled and Jesus would have instituted his kingdom at that time. Yeah, I don't want to gloss over that too quickly, Andy, because I'm not sure if our listeners are picking up on it. It it really is a strange sort of time paradox there. And um, just going back and thinking about it, dwelling on it, praying about it even, to get the understanding, because there's a couple of moments in the scriptures where Jesus says, and, and also the Apostle Paul implied this, that if the Jewish people had accepted Christ as their Messiah... History would be totally different. As you said, John the Baptist would have been Elijah, who was prophesied to come before you know, Christ comes as king. Right. A- and the kingdom would have happened right then and there, completely erasing the history of the church. So when we look back at a passage like this passage, we have to understand that's kind of where we are at a, at a crossroads, a, a prophetic crossroads, if you will. And if the nation of Israel had, and of course, God knew they weren't, and we can get into all that, but if the nation of Israel had accepted Jesus, he would have been king right then and there, um, negating this whole the whole rest of history. Yeah, and I also want our listeners to, to understand a little bit more about this ministry here. Um, the majority of, of anything that we ascertain to be true is going to be based on Scripture. And what we call uh, the usage of, of the words, the Berean way. Uh, this was a group of people during the time of Paul as he went out on his, his missionary journeys to share the teachings of the word. And, and these were a group that said, hey, look, if you could show us in scripture, we're right. going to believe it. Right. Right. So, I mean, based on what you're saying and, and what we're trying to convey is that, yes, absolutely, what happened in scripture was meant to be. It was God's plan. It was God's will. But hypothetically speaking, what Paul was trying to say there and what Jesus was trying to bring about is that if for whatever reason the Jews happen to accept Jesus as their Messiah and not actually denounce him to the point where he actually died on the cross, they sent him to the cross, things would have been different. And that's why he uses this language here as far as saying, you know, hey, guess what? You know, John the Baptist would have been Elijah in this case, but it didn't happen that way. And obviously we know from, for instance, like the book of Romans, that Jesus wanted to graft in, you know, the Gentiles so that they could be saved as well. And that was all part of God's big plan. All part of his plan, yeah. Yeah. So so that's relevant here with Nicodemus because Nicodemus is coming. And this, again, this is early on, you know, he he started to believe and started to wonder, is this the Messiah? And that's why he comes comes at Jesus at night because he's a little afraid of looking bad and... You know, he doesn't want to be embarrassed in front of his fellow members of a Sanhedrin, but he's starting to believe and he's starting to wonder if all the prophecies are true, if everything they're saying about this man is true. And he approaches him and calls him rabbi, not king yet. And then, as you said later on in John, as as this progresses, you'll see more and more faith out of Nicodemus to the point where most Bible scholars believe he was a believer at the, at the end when he came and claimed the body of Jesus Christ. 
Well said, Jordan. Okay, so then let's now attempt to look at the explanation of this particular passage. So let's start by rereading and breaking down our scripture. We'll start in John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So we talked about by night already. He was curious, but not ready to risk his reputation to actually be associated with Jesus. Um, the phrase, these signs, is interesting, Andy, as well. Yeah, I mean, if we uh, go back in Scripture and maybe look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, we see there that, um, that the Greeks seeketh after knowledge, but the Jews themselves require a sign. Um, and then Jesus also, in a negative light, used that same um, you know, metaphor, if you will, when he says that an adulterous and wicked generation seeketh after a sign. So it was kind of in the DNA, if you will, of the Jews to always want a sign as far as uh, wanting to proof to see if he really was the Messiah. Okay, and I'll read verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Yes, and the word born again literally means born from above. Also, the kingdom of God, this terminology is used for, for the place where, where I think most people do get tripped up. Right. And, um, you know, being able to understand kingdom of God and... There's also other phrases in the Bible, such as kingdom of heaven, and or maybe just the word heaven itself. Yeah, and to understand it and not get tripped up, it's important to put yourself into the mind of Nicodemus and think to yourself, what would that phrase, kingdom of God, mean to a Jewish scholar and professor that was seeking the Messiah, right? It would not mean heaven as we think of it, you know, clouds and harps and the pearly gates and all that stuff. That That's all stuff that came much later. Right. Um, that met that imagery, you know, through paintings and stuff like that. It, in his day, it would mean to a Jewish scholar, it would mean the long-awaited establishment of Israel's rule over the earth with the Messiah as the new King David. And um, you know, Pastor John MacArthur in, in his uh, commentary Bible says that this phrase was quote primarily a reference to participation in the millennial kingdom at the end of the age, which you know, someone like Nicodemus was seeking and, and thinking that. You know, if prophecy was, tr if it was true about Jesus, that this could be the end of the age. It, it, he also says that was fervently anticipated by the Pharisees, who Nicodemus was, and and they were also supernaturalists in that sense. They eagerly expected the coming of the prophesied resurrection of the saints and the institution of the messianic kingdom. So, not only to a Jewish person, but to a member of the Sanhedrin, to a Pharisee, um, you know, this is what the phrase "kingdom of God" meant. And to see that kingdom, Jesus tells this particular Pharisee, Nicodemus, he must be spiritually reborn. Yeah, Jordan, very, very good point. Um, also, we know in a lot of the Old Testament, we see some you know, future prophecy of Israel being resurrected, the kingdom of David being put back together again. Um, and I'm more than sure that Nicodemus, being an expert of the law at the time, was anticipating that, that set his faith in that, that the Messiah would come. And that's, you know, something that, that was uh, probably very important to him and something that he saw in qualities of Jesus Christ and something in his spirit pulled towards Jesus and knew, you know what, this is the chosen one. And so, yeah, I mean, this is rightfully considered a verse about salvation by faith, but it was spoken to someone who was already saved by national association and being a loyal Jew. And like we mentioned in, in prior episodes, he was saved on the Jewish layaway plan, if you will. And this is why you'll notice John the Baptist and Jesus' ministry featured the same word, repent. 
Repent for the kingdom is at hand or near. And you could read that in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 and Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Yeah, Andy, it's so important what you just said. You know, when you when people read verse 3 and it says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We all read that as a Christian salvation verse today. But spoken to Nicodemus, you know, that that's tying into, again, national salvation, repentance, and um the Jewish nation sort of turning back from their wrongful ways and accepting their Messiah who had arrived on the earth. It's a very messianic message there. And, and it's really critical to when you try to understand this passage and bring it into today um, with your spiritual eyes and your spiritual ears, you have to understand it, it, it fully fits in that context. Yeah, and I also want uh, our listeners to kind of put on the back burner and keep in mind the word, see the kingdom of heaven. Right. And we're going to compare that to something else later in verse 5. So could you pick it up for us in verse 4, Jordan? Sure. Nicodemus said to him, Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, so here we see uh, right away there's a, a difference in what Jesus is comparing, and there's obviously uh, different ways to um, to go forward into this phrase, the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying in verse 3, one cannot see the kingdom of God. Right. And in verse 5, he's saying one cannot enter, but yet there's there's different ways to, to lead towards that. So could you maybe you know talk about that a little bit and explain to our listener why that's critical, why, why that difference should be noticed? Yes, Andy, let's do that. But first, we need to kind of get into an understanding here of what water means, because he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. So first, we have to think of what that means. And a few possible meanings are, well, let's just go through them. There are, there are basically three. Number one, you could take that as meaning being literal, and it refers to, let's say, physical birth. So water is the amniotic fluid. Um, and of course, we're born of the Spirit when we believed in Jesus. We were born of amniotic fluid when we were born of our mothers. So given that, given the context, that, that interpretation could make sense. Um, you know, and Nicodemus obviously was confused and thought, and thought that way too. He said, how, how is a man supposed to enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he was definitely thinking of the physical birth. And, and, and if you read it that way, Jesus could be saying here, Nicodemus, you were born of your mother's womb, but now you must be born again from above by believing that I'm the promised Messiah. So that is one possible interpretation of water. Okay, and that's the literal interpretation. So I'm going to give it now from the figurative side. Okay. Um, And of course, figuratively, it symbolizes spiritual cleansing. So Pastor John MacArthur, again, who, who we are going to reference, is quoted saying, when water is used figuratively in the Old Testament, it habitually refers to renewal or spiritual cleansing. Thus, Jesus made reference to the spiritual washing or purification of the soul accomplished by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God at the moment of salvation required for belonging to his kingdom. So the idea that water is being used figuratively can be supported because later in the chapter in verse 8, Jesus also makes spirit figurative. And he says, quote, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In the New Testament Greek, spirit and wind are both forms of the same Greek word pneuma, which means a blast of air. Now, Jesus could be saying Nicodemus must be born of wind and water, born from above, and also cleansed. So in summary, Jesus could be saying that Nicodemus must be born of wind and water, or born from above and also cleansed. 
So that's two possible interpretations. Again, the one is that water is literal and refers to the physical birth. And the second one is that water is figurative and it symbolizes spiritual cleansing. There's also a third literal interpretation, and that is that it means baptism. And this uh, interpretation has led some people to teach that you must be baptized in order to be saved. One thing I just wanted to jump in there really quick, Jordan, and I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to talk about the word saved. Um, and I think that we can probably lead some of our listeners to some of our older lessons that we have on the Mysteries of the Kingdom, the MOTK.org website. And there's some thorough teachings that we've done in the past regarding the word saved and how there are different types of salvation in the Bible. Right. And, and then understanding which salvation applies in the proper context, and especially in this one here, being that we're talking about Nicodemus. Yeah, it's very important because there are three problems with the doctrine that you must be baptized to be saved in the traditional sense of that word. First, again, Nicodemus was already saved from hell because he was a Jew. He was saved in a national way. He was saved on the layaway plan. Um, and uh, we've already talked about that in other episodes and in this episode. You know, as mentioned, the message to the Jews was not be saved, it was repent and be baptized. Right, meaning that they were already saved, in a spiritual sense, in God's eyes. Right, and they had to, had to repent from their bad ways and recognize the Messiah. And there was a reason for that. It's not because they, they would lose their salvation as a nation, or that would they would all end up in a lake of fire, but because God at the time wanted to bring in and introduce the kingdom and have Jesus Christ actually be their king. Right, and, and another important point for us to note, too, is that the unsaved can't repent. Right, we've talked about this many times. Right. Repent means to change your mind, to turn back, as go we back. said from Rome. It actually right. means go back. Go back. You know? And of course, the, the unsaved are we're never on the road to begin with, so they can't turn back, right? Exactly. Um, and then number two, the reason this, the second reason why there are problems with the doctrine of you must be baptized in order to be saved is that if you say that to people today, it adds works exactly. to the gift of new birth, you know, the gift of salvation, and that's contrary to Scripture. You know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God. You know, Jordan, might, might I just, uh, again, interject for a second? I just wanted to um, bring about a very important point, that if the reader themselves, whether it's a, a new Christian or someone who's been studying the Word of God for their entire life, if they don't understand the differences in salvation, and what those salvations are, they will constantly see the Bible contradict to the point where they actually, you know, it'll cause themselves to have confusion in their doctrine. Right. And then what happens is there is a rift, there are divisions in different denominations, specifically because of scriptures like this. And um, we're praying and we're trusting that the more listeners focus and, and kind of uh, follow us down this path, that we will show you that if you look at the original Greek and the Hebrew, there's actually different salvations that, that the Lord Jesus Christ teaches, but it depends on the context, and it depends on what type of salvation. Right. Is it the spirit, the soul, or the body? And again, these are topics that we will talk about much more in the future, and we, we suggest you please go to our website, MOTK.org, and um, look up the keys of three and also the three salvations there in our archive. Right, MOTK.org, that's where we keep all the, the deeper studies and the longer form studies that we've done and will continue to do, all available for free. And what you're saying exactly applies to the, to the third problem with the doctrine, because the language changes, and you've already pointed this out. In verse 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So... Um, I think in this interpretation, if water is literal and it means baptism, then Jesus is saying something very interesting we have to pay attention to based on his shift in language. 
He's saying that an unbelieving Jew would not see the kingdom. A believing Jew would be reborn of the spirit from above and be able to see the kingdom, but possibly not enter. And a repentant Jew who had been baptized could earn the right to enter that kingdom. Right, right. And again, this is not the spiritual salvation that the church today is, is you know, what we're looking to share as far as a gospel to the lost man. This is a, a salvation for Israel so that they could finally have their promised land, they could live at peace, and they could finally have their king uh, come from God, their Messiah, rule and reign over them and protect them against the enemy. Right. And Jordan, this would apply to us as Christians today. Baptism is our first act of obedience as a believer. It's a public symbol of our association with Christ's death and resurrection. Yes, it's the first good work of a newly reborn person that counts towards qualifying to enter the kingdom. Yes, and the only difference? Today, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, according to Scripture. There is no national salvation, but only individual salvation. We all must believe first and be saved to pass from death into life. This is our rebirth. Excellent. So, in conclusion, this passage from John chapter 3 does not teach you need to be baptized to be born again, but it may teach you need to be baptized to enter Christ's kingdom. If you're a believer who's not been baptized yet, you may want to prayerfully reconsider that. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax-deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you liked what you heard today and want to go deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes, but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of Scripture we're studying. So if you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thank you so much for your 20 minutes. I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan Pine. May God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. Until next time, may the word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rates reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.